And if you have kids two weeks in, you're no longer excited about summer. You're, you're excited because, you know, it's, you know, longer days and you've got, you know, uh, just you got some vacations coming up. And, and if you have a pool, you're getting a pool ready to swim. If you don't have a pool, you're waiting for your friend to get the pool ready to swim in. And, and so all this stuff's happening and school's out and, and it's good. The transition into summer is always exciting, but like two weeks in, it's a different story. Like two weeks in, the kids are bored. It's, it's just hot and humid outside and, and you're over it. You're done with it. And, and you've already done everything on your summer fun list. So where do I go from here? You know, for, summer, for some people, summer is a time to, I believe, unwind, to, to kind of throw out the schedule, to uh, throw out the structure and the responsibility. But we're planning a church. That's right. We're still in the process of planting a church. We haven't arrived yet. Just because we moved from a living room to a movie theater and, and we had a launch day doesn't mean that, that this is it, that we've planted and that this is done, that this is, this is over with. No, we haven't arrived anywhere yet. We are still really considered a church plant until we honestly reach the two-year mark. That's a long way away. <laughs> There's over a year and a half from now still, but, but that's, that's sort of the benchmark that, that, that people shoot for. That's the benchmark that we're shooting for because that's widely recognized as the mark of viability. If, if you can sustain yourself after two years, then, uh, then, then you're doing great. Then, then, then you're going to uh, hopefully be able to make it as a church plant. And I know we don't talk about uh, the grim reality that many church plants fell, and we don't believe that this church plant is going to fail because we believe that God is in this and that God has, has, has spoken life into this and that he's breathed this out. And so we're excited for what he's going to do, but, but we still have some work to do. We spent the first half of this year getting established buying the things that we need to buy, getting things ready to do ministry here on Sunday mornings, making connections in the community so that we can go out during uh, the week and we can serve our community and serve our strategic partners. And, and we've been uh, establishing the, these kids, this kids' ministry, and we've been establishing a budding student ministry, and, and we've seen uh, new people come to know the Lord, and we've seen wanderers come home. We have smaller groups called missional communities that just finished their first semester and getting ready to head into a summer semester. We have dozens of new people that have joined us at the after party and so many that have decided to partner with us at Legacy City, and praise God for all of that. But that was just the first chapter of many more to come, okay? The first chapter of many more to come. We want to spend this summer prepping for God to work a miracle with the next generation. I believe that this fall we will have the opportunity to pour into teenagers and college students in a way that will impact this city like we've never seen before. I believe that, that we will serve this community with such passion and vigor that everybody everywhere will, where will wonder, what's up with that theater church? I believe that. I believe that Legacy City is set to explode and a real revival will begin in Greenwood and the surrounding areas. I believe that that can happen. But church, that doesn't happen when we take the summer off. It doesn't happen when we take a whole season off. That happens when we make the decision to allow God to use us. When we own the ministry that he's placed us in. That happens when we invite our friends, family, neighbors, coworkers into church and into our missional communities. When we step out in faith and we practice the art of neighboring. When we host people in our homes. This happens whenever we serve those around us in a radical and uncommon way. That happens when we live out the faith that we claim and we recognize that we are image bearers. 
We are lion chasers. We are kingdom builders. We are called to leave a legacy and love others unreasonably. We are to serve God in this city. We are to embrace creativity, and we are dedicated to worship, prayer, and the word. And we are created to give with a purpose, which we're going to talk about in a little bit today. When we recognize who we are and who God created us to be, then we can step into the role that he has for us. We can take up the mantle that he has prepared beforehand, and we can live our best life as sons and daughters of the King Most High. And when we do that, church, people will see. People will question. People will wonder. People will want to know what's going on. People will be saved. Salvation will be at hand. Baptism will be a regular occurrence. Discipleship will be a way of life. When we do that, when we step into that, None of that happens when we take a break for the summer. That doesn't happen when we take a break for the summer. So let me encourage you. Lean in this summer. Legacy City has come a long way. But we've got a ways yet to go. We've got some more stuff to do. We've got some more work to get done. All right, a lot of great stuff has happened in our short life. God has been amazing, but we still have a ways to go. We're not quite where we want to be, but this is a process. And I believe that with each of you bringing your gifts, your skills, your talents, your time, your treasure to the house of God, God will take us to the next level and he will get the glory. Amen? All right, church, so that's, that's kind of just my rant on summer. I just wanted to throw that out there. And it's hot. It's just my biggest pet peeve about summer. We have a few things that we think is going to help you stay involved uh, over summer to continue moving forward in your God journey. Uh, one is our friends at Village Church out in Texas. Um, they put together a great resource for families on things to do over summer. So we're going to share that on social media this week as well as on our midweek uh, email. As if, you're, if you're subscribed to that, uh, then, then be looking for that as that comes out probably on Wednesday or so. If you're not subscribed to that, you can go to the website, and I think there's like a thing at the bottom of the site. You can jump on that midweek email, which goes out. We, we want to share that resource with you. Also, we would love to encourage you to sign up for our summer missional communities. Uh, Heather's going to tell you a little bit more about those at the end of the gathering, but we, you want to be a part of one or even a few of these. Let me tell you, they're going to be great. So you want to be a part of these. It's a great way to plug in and get to know more people. The semester's only six weeks. All right, it's just three weeks in June, three weeks in July. And so uh, I believe it just might change your summer. Finally, we want to encourage you to pour into Legacy City and allow God to pour into you through that. Join a Sunday morning serve team. Get involved. Make a difference. You will be blessed, I promise. So this weekend, we're wrapping up a series called Time, Tre Time Talent, Treasure. Time, Talent, Treasure. And we spent a few weeks talking about uh, being good stewards of the time we've been given, all right? And then we spent last week discussing the gifts and the talents we've been given. Today we want to talk treasure, money, dollar bills, everybody's favorite subject. <laughs> Listen, I'm not prefacing this message with an apology. I'm not going to do it because we're talking about this because Jesus talked about this. We're talking about this because money is a huge part of life. It determines most of what we do and do not do in life. It determines what we do and do not have. Money is important. Jesus says as much. And so there's no apology given for talking money here this morning. No, because I believe that the Holy Spirit has some things to say here this morning. I believe that he has some things to speak into our hearts and speak into our lives and some things that are going to happen. That we, Some light bulbs are going to go off. Some chains are going to break. Some walls are going to come down because we're going to see things in a whole new light. I believe that here this morning. So don't check out on me. Don't miss the blessing that God has for you as we make our way through the message here today. 
We're going to jump right in. Matthew 6, 19 through 21 is going to be our main scripture. And we're going to re- really what it's going to be is, is I tend to like, I love to just take a, a big block of text and I love to sort of walk through it. And I love to pull some points out of it and, and kind of teach in that way. But today's going to be a little different because I just got done with a crown financial class, uh, which I believe is going to be a, co- a missional community we're going to offer in the fall. So be on the lookout for that as that comes up. But, but I just got finished with that. And I think uh, some of the things that we're going to talk about here this morning, we're going to focus on some principles. So we're going I'm going to lay out a couple of scriptures, and we're going to talk about a couple of scriptures, but we're also going to hit on some principles, and I believe many of these are coming sort of from the Crown Financial, some of the ideas that, that we got while in the Crown Financial for several weeks, and so uh, I want to encourage you to just lean into this and, and, and try to pick up what I believe God is trying to tell you as we go through this. Uh, Matthew 6, 19 through 21, we read, read these verses a few weeks ago uh, when we were talking through the end of... We're talking about idols at the very end of the Soul Detox series. So if you were here for that, you might remember this passage. Verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. I just want a footnote real quick. I think when Jesus says don't lay up for yourself treasures, don't store up treasures here on earth, I don't think he's saying to not save for retirement. This was a question that came up while we were in Crown Financial. I don't believe that he's saying not to save for retirement. I don't think that's the point. In fact, in Proverbs 13, 22, it says a good man leaves an inheritance for their children's children. So, so part of being a good steward of what he has given you is planning for your financial future and even the financial future of your children and your children's children. So I think we ought to save for retirement. That's fine. It's a, it's a question that came up, and so I just wanted to hit this right away. Uh, that, that that's not what he's saying. We're not, it's not like uh, just, just use it or lose it type situation. Like you burn it all up because when you go, you go. And that's, that's, so no, I think there is a responsibility there. But, but when Jesus says don't store treasures here on earth, what he's saying is that our life on earth is not the end game. All right, it doesn't, it doesn't stop here. What we need to be working toward and what we need to be working on are those treasures that we're storing up in eternity. Okay, so I just want to put that out there. So Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Then here is one of those statements where Jesus says so much with so few words. I love this. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the treasure principle. This is the treasure principle. This morning I want to share five principles that relate to managing our treasure or our money. And I encourage you just to, to jot these down, to think about these, and, and to really see how these might apply to your life. I'm so excited about this today because I think that some of the things that are shared this week, this morning, just like in the last few weeks, if you identify even just one thing, just one thing. Maybe it was a few weeks ago when you identified with the statement that said, do not put a period where God puts a comma whenever we're talking about how we wait on God and how we decide to maybe stop waiting on God. God puts a comma, we put a period, we move on, and God's like, wait, I had something more for you. Maybe that one, maybe there was something that's been said that really just takes a hold in, in your life. I think this morning there might be something, one, one little thing, it might not be all five things, but it might be one little thing and and understand that making that one little change can make all the difference. Making that one little adjustment can make a huge difference in your life. The Bible has so much to say about managing money, about managing our treasure. Really, some of the best advice in the Bible relates to how much we actually are supposed to handle 
our money. So here we go. Number one, let's jump right in. Uh, God doesn't need your money. That's a relief. Because I thought he did. God doesn't need your money. He doesn't need it. Listen, it's, it's not, I mean, I know this is like maybe a shock to some of you, but God does not actually need your money. It's not like the offering bins get passed on Sundays and you pull out your, your crisp new $20 bill and you put it in and God's like, "Woo, here we go. We're good for another week. Thank you. Right? That's not really the way it works. Listen, God doesn't need your 20s. God doesn't need your hundreds. God doesn't need your thousands. God doesn't need your millions. You have to understand that. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and he owns the hills that those cattle are roaming on. All right? He doesn't need your money, but he does want your heart, church. And those two things are not unrelated. Giving is really not a money issue. It's a heart issue. And that's not just some play on words. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart also will be. Now, if you flip that, I think there's another way of saying it, that if your treasure isn't in it, then your heart isn't in it. All right, did you hear what I said? If your treasure isn't in it, if you're not investing in it, then your heart's not in it. So let's put it in these terms. Let's, let's kind of try to put it in some different terms here for you. If you put your treasure into material things, your heart will become materialistic. But if you put your treasure into local outreach, let's say you go to the pathway house and you serve and your eyes are open to the fact that much of Greenwood does not live the way that you live. And you wake up to the reality and you realize all of a sudden that there are a lot of people that have never heard the good news uh, of the gospel. And you start putting your treasure into local ministries. Here's what's going to happen, church. You will get a heart for outreach, serving the least, lost, and last. And the more you give, the bigger your heart will get. And if you give enough, at some point, your heart will break for the things that breaks the heart of God. And when someone says, how do I get a heart for this or that? I think the easy answer is start putting your treasure into it, and your heart will follow your treasure. That's what Jesus is saying. In the last series, Soul Detox, we talked about another idea in Matthew 6 where Jesus said to seek first the kingdom of God. And I think uh, a lot of us are seeking God, but the question is, are we seeking him first or are we seeking him second or third or fifth or tenth or so on down the line? How do we know if you're seeking God first? Listen, I don't want to waste any time, church. You don't need uh, to tell me your priorities and I don't need to tell you mine. Let me show you my calendar and let me show you my bank statement. That's all you really need to know. Because that's going to reveal where my priorities are. That's going to reveal where my heart is. Where I'm putting my time and my treasure. What I'm investing my time and my treasure in. That's what's really important to me. And here's why I think this message is so important. I think at the end of our day, at the, at the end of our time, at the very end of our life, our greatest regret will be whatever we didn't give to God. It's as simple as that. What you give away, you get to keep forever. And what you keep, you lose forever. Listen, this is basic biblical economics here, so, so I want to say that one more time. If you're taking notes, jot this down. What you keep, you lose. What you lose, you keep forever. Might not be a popular opinion. I didn't get any amens on that one. That's what Jesus said. 
I mean, this is, this is not my gospel. This is not my philosophy. This is not what I would have drawn up for us if I were the one writing the scriptures and laying this all out. But I'm not God. This is what Jesus says. What you give away, you get back. You get to keep forever. This is the, there's a reward, this transfer that happens when we, when we give those blessings, when we pour out on other people. So, so let's start here. God doesn't need your money. Money is not what this message is actually about. So let's move to number two. It all belongs to God. <laughs> Why does God not need your money? Because it's already his. Why does he not need your stuff? Because it's already his. Because it all already belongs to God. I think until this is internalized, I don't think we're going to ever be able to be grateful for the things that we have. Enough will never be enough. We said that a few weeks ago. Until you realize that every good and perfect gift comes from above, James chapter 1 tells us. Until you realize that, I don't think you're going to be able to handle and manage the things that God has given you. I think this is the starting point. It all belongs to God. We have to understand that. Even in the area of tithing, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, but I think uh, sometimes we feel like the first 10% belongs to God. Nope. He owns it all. 100% belongs to God. He just says he wants to let you keep. 90% or 80% or whatever you have prayerfully decided between you and the Lord. And until we understand that our perspective is going to be flawed, it's so important that we come to terms with this fact. In other words, it's all from God. Every second of time, every ounce of talent, every penny of treasure, these are all the things we talked about this series. We live on borrowed time. We live on borrowed money. We live on borrowed talent. In fact, I want you to turn to your neighbor right now and say, your talent is on loan from God. Yeah, we have to know this. We have to understand this. We have to, we have to get this in our heads. It's our job to steward our time, talent, and treasure. I think King David, David had this mindset in Chronicles, First uh, Chronicles uh, chapter 29. This is it's an interesting story, and I'll kind of give you a brief synopsis, but I want to read this real quick. But who am I, and what is my people, that we should be able thus to offer willingly? That's a hard verse. I'll, I'll kind of translate that in a second. For all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. I think that's pretty self-explanatory. We catch that, right? All things come from you, God. And of what's already yours, we've given back to you. For we are strangers before you and sojourners, as all our fathers were. Our days on earth are like a shadow and there is no abiding. I love this, verse 16. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. David was a king. He was very wealthy. All right, and he laid out a ton of money to build a temple for the Lord. And he's saying this, God, I can't even believe that you've blessed me to the point that I can actually give at the level that I'm giving right now. And God, you know why I can give all this? Because it's already yours. All of this is from your hand. It's not my money. It's not my abundance. It's your abundance. He recognizes this. 
So here's the context. Uh, David had pledged his personal fortune of gold and silver to build the temple. We know exactly how much it was. Scripture says it was 3,000 talents of gold and it was 7,000 talents of silver. Let's put it into today's terms because I just want to make sure you understand what we're dealing with here. That was 110 tons of gold and 190 tons of silver. And so I checked the price of gold per ounce this week. It's trading at uh, $1,303 per ounce. So in today's market, that was $4.2 billion in gold that David was giving toward the temple. And silver's trading at $16.59 an ounce. And so that was an additional $91,936,000. Why does David give it? Because David recognizes it was from God in the first place. He says, this was all from you. Everything comes from you. Church, do you want to experience joy in your life? Come to terms with that fact. Come to terms with that fact. It's already God's. Everything comes from God. So here's the great irony. Did you know that you can't give anything to God? You can only give back what he has given to you. You can only give back what is already his. This is fundamental, and if you don't get that, it will skew your understanding of stewardship. It is all from God, and it is all for God. First Corinthians 6, I love this, says it this way. You are not your own. You don't belong to yourself. It says that you belong to God. Therefore, honor God with your body. The principle is this. The moment you surrender yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ, you give him all that you are and all that you have. It all belonged to him before anyway, but that decision that you made to surrender yourself to to him means that you no longer own anything. He owns everything. It all belongs to God. I haven't met anyone possessed uh, by a demon. Some friends in college shared some, they were, they were some friends who were missionaries. I went to college with several missionary kids, and they shared some incredible uh, and terrifying stories from the mission field. Of, of possessions and, and wild and scary stuff, and, and that was enough for me. But I have met lots of people who are possessed by their possessions. Their possessions aren't something that they possess. Their possessions are something that possess them. And for some reason in our culture, that's not quite as scary as someone who would be possessed by a demon, but I don't want to get us thinking a little bit. <clears throat> do we own what we own, or do those things own us? Do we own the things that we own, or do those things actually own us? Every significant purchase that Jen and I have made in our married lives, we have made sure that we would not own uh, that thing, but that God would own it. Our house, cars, everything. We hold everything with an open hand. Our house has been a boarding house for several people, sometimes a few, for just a few days or weeks, sometimes for six or more months, my truck has had two owners only, two-owner truck. It's a, good, it's a good buy, but it's probably been driven by 30 or 40 people, who knows, just in the couple years that I've had it, <clears throat> because we hold everything with an open hand. It's not mine. I have a simple question I ask myself when it comes to the things I own. Would I be okay giving this away? Would I be okay letting this thing go? Because if not, then that thing's going to own me. If I can't let it go, then that thing's going to own me. I don't want anything to own me except the Lord. So sometimes you have to make sure that there are checks and balances in your life so that 
you own what you own, and it doesn't own you. The truth is most of us spend most of our lives collecting the wrong things. We spend most of our lives acc- accumulating the wrong stuff, possessions that will rust, as the scripture says, that will be destroyed and aren't worth anything in light of eternity. It all belongs to God. So is your treasure your treasure, or is God your treasure? Isn't that really the question that we're asking? Is Jesus Christ truly your treasure? Is he the treasure you value above everything else? Or is your treasure your treasure? Your watch, your clothes, your money, your car, your house. Tough question to ask. Let's move on to number three. (laughs) I believe that the true joy is found on the giving side of life. True joy is found in giving. Some of you are thinking, I've heard this a thousand times. You know what? Maybe we need to hear it one more. I know I do. I need to be reminded of this stuff all the time. God doesn't need your money. It belongs to God already. True joy is found in giving. I need to be reminded of these things. And at the end of the day, it's understanding what money can do and what it cannot do. Okay? I think true joy is found when you give. Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Let me give you another translation because in the Greek, tran- in the Greek language, I think there would be a, uh, this, is, this would actually be a, a better translation. It is more happy to give than to receive. The word blessed can mean happiness and probably even likens itself a little bit more toward joy. But I love this. It is more happy to give than to receive. You know, <clears throat> here's what I'm learning, and I'll, maybe you want to write this down, church. The more you give away, the more you enjoy what you have. The more you give away, the more you let go of, the more you enjoy what you actually have. So let's, let's say this. If you give God that tithe, that first 10%, I think you will enjoy the 90%, 10% more. I've never done a study on this, and I can't prove, but, but this, is, this is in my experience. In fact, I think if you give 20%, then you're going to enjoy that 80%, 20% more. If you give 50%, you're going to enjoy that 50%, 50% more. I believe that. That's just been my experience. It's been what I've seen. The more I give away, the more I enjoy what I have, and the less I give, honestly, the less I enjoy what I keep. Generosity and gratitude are, are, are two things that go hand in hand, and it's in giving that I believe we truly discover that joy. Uh, a pastor that I closely follow, Pastor uh, Mark Batterson, he said, there are three phases of giving. I have to give, I love to give, and I live to give. Most of us, honestly, never get to the I live to give phase. Some of us get to the I love to give. But here's where it starts for everybody. I have to give. You know it's the right thing to do. It's just a matter of obedience. And I think when you live in obedience, then ultimately, you will begin to love to give. And then at some point, if you keep doing it, you're going to live to give. John Wesley actually said it this way. Gain all you can, save all you can, give all you can. I love that mantra. I'm going to step on some toes for a second because I'm preaching to myself first. Some of you want to make more money because you want to make more money. What if we had a different mindset? What if we said we want to make more money so that we can give more money? What if we said we wanted to make more so that we can give more? Is that, do you want to make money to make it, or do you want to make it to give it? This is where we get to the heart of this issue. 
where if God blesses us, are we going to use it to selfishly uh, just build ourselves up, or do we realize that God blesses us so that we can be a blessing to others? And that's number four. Actually, that's number five, sorry. Number, number four. Number four, God wants your first fruits. We'll come back to the blessings thing. That's number five. God wants your first fruits. Come on, somebody. This one's pretty critical. God wants your first fruits. It goes all the way back to Cain and Abel. If you remember that story, Abel gave God the best of his flocks. He says he brought his choice lambs, the very best that he had. And if if, if there were a fair, Abel's livestock offerings would have won the blue ribbon for sure. All right? But Cain, he brought crops that were already rotting. He brought a subpar sacrifice to the Lord. And, of course, the Bible says that, that because he brought these leftovers, these afterthoughts, the Bible says, uh, this story is in Genesis 4, by the way, if you want to go look that up later, uh, Cain got upset because God, God appreciated Abel's offering and not Cain's. And Cain got upset. And, and I love this. And, and, and this is, uh, God turns it on us whenever we do this sometimes. Because I think sometimes we get ticked off at God. We get ticked off because we're like, God, I, did you not see me put that $5 in the offering bin last week? Did you not know that I bought that person, uh, you know, a Happy Meal or their food or whatever? Did you not see me do that little thing, God? And we get ticked because we don't see that blessing rolling back around. So God says to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? It gives us just this great principle to live by. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Are we bringing an Abel offering or are we bringing a Cain offering? I think that this ancient teaching is as true today as it was at the dawn of civilization. Sin is crouching at the door. It's all around me. It's all around us. Me, mine, more. We want this, and we want this. And until we dethrone greed in our lives, then we won't experience the joy of giving. But it starts with giving God the first fruits. This is an incredibly important principle, church. I know some of you might be starting to check out, like, aren't we getting into the law, and aren't we, getting, aren't we under grace at this point? Yes, and, and, but, but I want you to understand this uh, for all those uh, naysayers when it comes to, to tithing. I'm sure there's none in this room, but there may be. Uh, for what it's worth, the tithe is pre-law. All right, we want to talk about how we're under grace now, not under the law, but the tithe is actually pre-law. Abraham brought a tithe to God before the law was even instituted. And it's not like the Ten Commandments ever went away. Jesus fulfilled the requirements of the law for us, but those principles still hold true. And this is one of those, the law of first things. In Exodus 34, 26, it says, the best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring to the house of the Lord your God. So God expects not just the first fruits, but the best part and the first part. In other words, he doesn't want the leftovers. The first part is critical. Before you pay your bills, before you do your 401k, your Roth IRA, before you pay off your school loan, I think the first check you should write is that giving check, that tithe check. Giving God that first 10% or whatever percent you have prayed about. I don't want to get stuck here because I think the concept of tithing is honestly pretty simple. God gave it all to us and wants a portion of it back. It's simple to understand, but to start giving beyond that 10%. And when you start living a 2080 life, what joy can be found there? Because you can't outgive God, church. 
It starts with saying, God, I want you to have the best part and the first part. I want you to have the best and the first right away. It's all yours. Here's what we need to understand. It didn't matter whether it was the first crop or the firstborn or the first animal. God just wants the first part. It's the law of first things. It's the first fruits that is so critical that we give back to God. And I think anything less than giving God the first and the, and the best is giving God the leftovers. He wants the best part. Deuteronomy 15, 21 says, but if, any has in, but if it has any blemish, if it is lame or blind or has any serious blemish, whatever, you shall not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. Why? Because then your sacrifice, church, isn't a sacrifice at all. All right? A sacrifice, by definition, requires sacrifice. I think this is a dangerous thing in our culture. Uh, we have to make sure that we are not giving God the blind animals, the lame, the crippled, the diseased. Are you giving God the first fruits? Or are you giving God the leftovers? Because God wants your first fruits. In Scripture, this is also called like, this is also like a devotion thing. All right, the first crop, the firstborn, these were devoted to the Lord. You see this when the Israelites went to the promised land, and, and they took the city of Jericho, and, and God says, uh, this <clears throat> is the first battle, this is the first city, it all belongs to me. I don't want you to take any of it for yourself. They're going in and they're trying to take the promised land. What an interesting command. You're going to go in, you're going to be a conquering nation, you're going to take your land, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to take these people out because, because they, they, they don't believe and they're on your land, they're on the land that I've given to you, and, and you're, going to, you're going to take it over, but I don't want you to take anything from, for yourself. So there was a guy named Achan who decided uh, that, that as the Israelites began to conquer the territory, he found this Babylonian robe. He thought it was beautiful. He started to, to just covet that thing. He just wanted it, man. Then he saw 200 silver coins and a bar of gold, and he went back to his tent, and he buried it all. The Israelites, they didn't know this. He, he kept it a secret, and they go into battle, and they lose. And their confidence is shaken because God said, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going I'm to get you through this. And they say, God, what's going on? 36 men died today. Why? Because one person didn't give God the first fruits didn't give God the devoted thing. You see, they get to take later on. They get, to, they get to take the spoils of war later on, but God wanted that first battle, that first fruits of that first conquered city. Seems a little harsh to me, but I think it tells us how important it is to God that, that he is first in our lives. That's when I'll make sure that he gets the first and the best. If we don't give God the first fruit, then God can't bless disobedience, which means instead of being blessed, then we might as well be under a curse. And that takes us to number five. We are blessed to be a blessing. We are blessed to be a blessing. I want us to understand the heart of God. God wants you to bless, God wants to bless you beyond what you can imagine, but not so that you can enjoy it in a selfish way. God wants, you to, wants to bless you so that you can be a blessing to others. In Malachi 3, is a popular verse when we talk about uh, giving and tithing. It's, it's one that kind of comes up a lot. <clears throat> Malachi 3, verse 10. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I love this. This is one of the only scriptures in, in all of the Bible where God says, test me. 
openly says, test me. Bring me the, bring the tithe and test me and see that I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. And then all nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. So many of you have heard the first part, verse 10 where it says, bring all the tithe into the storehouse. Maybe you've heard that. You've heard that taught in churches before. You've heard that talked about before. But verse 11 is something interesting. God says, I will rebuke the devourer for you. I will rebuke the devourer for you. I think this is where we get into some interesting territory. Some of us, you see, we start to check out a little bit. Isn't that Old Testament? Yeah. That's Old Testament. But God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. These principles do not change. If you say to me, 10% is a lot, we're under grace. Well, well, grace always goes beyond the law. So, so I think that's the starting point for many of us is, as we get ready to give our first fruit, our first 10%, our income. Grace actually goes beyond that typically. So I don't know where you're coming from in that situation. But in this passage, we see the law of measures. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. You can't break the law of sowing and reaping. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. If you sow kindness, you will reap kindness. If you sow generosity, you will reap generosity. You can't break God's law. So so my great concern is that many of us aren't living under the blessing that we could. We are essentially robbing from God. So let's make sure that we're at the point where we position ourselves for God's blessing so that we can truly experience it. So we have a core value at Legacy City says that, that we were created, uh, God created us to give with purpose. It is our purpose to see God glorified. It is our, it is our purpose to see people come to know him. It is our purpose to, to see his name made famous. But there is a byproduct. And I know I have to tread carefully here or I might get called like a prosperity preacher or something. But you can't break God's law. If you sow generosity, you will reap generosity. Listen, God blesses his children. Understand that some of us may not see those blessings this side of heaven. Understand that some of those blessings will come in the form of eternal treasures. You have to understand that. But rest assured, they are coming. We are blessed to bless others. And when we bless others, we are blessed some more. That's not prosperity. That's simply the way God operates. We bring to the storehouse, like in Malachi, and he protects our fields. He, he does away with the devourer. Listen, I know that some of you are in a tough financial position, and this is a hard message to hear. And I want you to know that this is not a church where it's like we're going to send you on a guilt trip and then, and, then, and then expect you just to be back next week and, and be giving and doing all these different things. This, it isn't about mistakes that we've made in the past. The truth is when I'm talking about time and treasure, there is not one of us who doesn't feel like we fall short. I believe, I believe that. There's not one of us in this room that's like, I give God all of the time and all of the treasure. So every once in a while, we need a gut check. We need to look in the mirror like we've done over the last few weeks and say, am I spending my time the way that I could or should in a way that most honors God? And I think this weekend, this morning, we look in the mirror and say, am I really managing the treasure that God has given me the way that I could or should? Listen, I know this is a tough topic. 
people tend to be very personal with their finances, and most people certainly don't like being told what to do with their finances. But it doesn't have to be that way. I stopped using the phrase personal finances a long time ago as a rule of thumb because I think there's nothing personal about it. It's just money. And the more we give, the more God works in us. We don't give because the church needs it. We give because God needs it. We don't give because the church needs it. We don't give because God needs it. We give because we need it. We give so that we can see the stronghold of greed being stripped down in our lives. We give because we want to see the grasp of possessions letting go. We give and see the joy of obedience and blessing coming over us. So here's what we're going to do. We, we've, we've done giving a little different every week for the last four weeks. And, and, and next week we're not talking about giving. We're, we're jumping into 1 Peter and we're going to walk through 1 Peter for the rest of the summer. It's going to be an incredible time and we're really excited about that series. But, but every week we, we, we've done giving a little differently and we, we said, you know what, sometimes we do it at the beginning of the gathering. Sometimes we do it at the end and it's, sometimes it's just tagged here and put here. But we wanted to bring special attention and special focus to how we give because we are called to give with joy. Scripture tells us we are, we are to give joyously, cheerfully. We're to be cheerful givers, not out of compulsion, not, not in a way that, uh, that is out of habit or ritual or, or anything like that. We're to give cheerfully because God has blessed us with so much. And even if we're giving what we think is a little bit in the heart, it might be everything. The widow's might was nothing, but to God it was everything. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray this morning. The ushers are going to get ready. We're going to pray, and, and I'm just going to pray over what's going to be given uh, in these next moments and what's going to be given uh, in this next week. And, and, and then what's going to happen is at the very end, I'm just going to say, and all God's people gave a shout of joy, and we're going to shout, and we're going to cheer, and we're going to thank God for the many blessings he's poured out on us. We're going to thank God for, for just pouring out his love over our lives for all that he's given and all that he's put on us. And then, and then we're going to just jump up and we're going to sing some more songs and we're going to worship the Lord here this morning. We're so excited uh, for what's going to happen over the rest of this gathering. So would you pray with me? Father, thank you. Help us to hear your word, to respond to it in a way that we be pleasing to you. Lord, I know that for a lot of people, this is a tough one. I know that talking about money is such an intimate thing, but the truth is it's, it's your business. And God, I want to make sure that, that all of us are living under that umbrella of your protection and your provision, that we are living in obedience and that our trust is not in money but in the Lord Jesus Christ and that we are honoring you by putting you first and giving you the first fruits. Lord, help us to respond in such a way that will bring glory to your name and that the eternal things that matter most would get the best, would, would get the best of us. Not, not worldly things, not earthly things, not stuff we can buy, but eternal things. God, bless what is being given right now and what has been given online this week, that, you would, that it would go to further your kingdom and to make your name famous, that, that <clears throat> through these offerings, people will come to know you, that prodigals will return home, and that the enemy will be trembling at the thought of your unreasonably generous church today. And all God's people gave a shout of praise because the Lord's blessed them so much in this house today. Shout praise, amen.